And you can grab a seat. Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good? Good. Welcome, Quest. Glad you're here. Good morning. I want to hear you. Can I hear you? You guys doing all right? Good. That's right. I like to hear people talking back to me. It's always comforting to know someone's out there. It's good. Well, today is an exciting day for me um, and uh, for a lot of students, too, around Quest, uh, because today is what I like to call Promotion Sunday. This is when the sixth graders uh, who are just now sixth graders coming into middle school get to be a part of the youth program, and, and eighth graders who've been in middle school for three long years now get to join high school, and, and uh, so there's a bunch of movement, a lot of people going around doing new things, and, and it's just real exciting for me because I get to meet a bunch of new students, and so I'm, I'm really excited about today, um, and I think I might be even more excited about tonight because uh, we've got this thing coming on. When, when new students come into the youth ministry, uh, I love to just throw big parties and welcome people in and have a lot of food and just a ton of fun, and so tonight at Fusion, uh, I'm going to, one little moment here. I love being on stage because I get to make announcements when there's not time for announcements, and so that's what I'm doing right now. So um, pay attention, parents. If you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, something awesome is coming up tonight. We're going to have a party at Fusion starting at 6 p.m. tonight, and uh, we're, we're going to welcome in the new sixth graders and celebrate the ninth graders, the new ninth graders, and, and it's just going to be a, an amazing time. We're going to have pizza and games and, and costumes Uh, That's right. I have invited the students to come wearing costumes because we're all getting older, because we're moving on up. Tonight, we're going to celebrate the elderly. And uh, so I've asked the students to come in their best old person costume. And and, uh, the person who wears the funniest or whatever costume is going to win a prize is going to be a lot of fun. And and I hope that's not offensive to anyone. I thought it was funny. And so we're going to do it anyway. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's going to be great. So we're going to have a blast. I'm I'm super excited about it. I I also love this time of year uh, because, you know, it's like we we get out of the summer and, you know, there's just, summer is really chaotic uh, for me. Most people, when summer comes along, you know, they're they're kind of, it's like a, a, a time out. You know, you can kind of push pause on the normal schedule and you plan vacations and everything slows down. But for a youth pastor and for youth ministry, everything speeds up all of a sudden. You know, we're planning uh, uh, mission trips and camps and all kinds of uh, opportunities for the students to encounter God in significant ways. And so I, sometimes at the end of the summer, at the beginning of the fall, I can just like sit back and relax. And it, it's such a nice thing. Of course, this end of this summer, Ross said, Jeremy, I need you to preach. And so I didn't get to take a break at all. I'm just up and working again. I'm just kidding, Ross. But um, yeah, no, it, this, is, this is an amazing time uh, for a couple of reasons. And, and, and for me, it's exciting because at the end of the summer, at the beginning of the fall, it's, it's really a time for us to look back on the things that God did in the lives of the students, all those encounters. It's, it's almost a time for us to take inventory and say, wow. You know, God was real and present, and, and he moved in significant waves, ways in the lives of the students. And, and, and it's, it's this time when we can look forward to the fall, to the new school year, and we can say, okay, how can I put into place uh, the things that God taught me this summer and, and let them, you know, work out in, in my school year? And, and so it's an exciting time for me because we get to look back and we get to look forward at the same time. And, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's really just an amazing time. Each of those moments 
uh, that the students had that, that where God worked and moved, they, they create these reference points, you know, points that almost become guidelines and, and ways to excite us and move us forward into the future. And, and uh, it, it's just a, a great thing. And um, it's reference points like this are, are, are awesome because they, they give us sanity sometimes in the moments of craziness. When fall comes up, and I think of, I, I saw a gal this morning, and, and uh, she's a new ninth grader. I'm not going to mention who she is, but um, might embarrass her, but you know, she's a new ninth grader, and she just kind of came up to me, and it was almost like she was frazzled a little bit, and uh, you know, because there's just so much new going on in her life, and, and, uh, and it's almost scary, it's frightening, it's crazy, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think about it, and I think this is the time when she can look back and say, God moved in a significant way in my life, and so it almost brings sanity in that moment of craziness. That's what reference points do for us, memorials or, or, or things that we can look back and, and those memories of, of how God moved, and really that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me pray for us as we get started. Well, Heavenly Father, we just invite you to be here with us this morning, Lord. Uh, we pray that um, in our own lives that we can recall those ways that you've been changing us and shaping us and teaching us, and, and all of those encounters would be very real for us, even here in this moment, Lord, so that we can thank you, Lord, we can remember you, and we can be encouraged as we move forward into this next season, this fall, uh, this year, Lord. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, my wife and I, uh, we're new parents, and as many of you know, um, we have a one-year-old, and, and his name's Lofton. He's probably one of the cutest little boys um, that I've ever seen or known, and I'm not partial in any way, but... Um, I remember um, when when we were pregnant, when my wife was pregnant, uh, that the first this is our first baby, and and so this is our first pregnancy, and 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 I remember like every little thing that happened in my wife's body, every little new feeling or motion or whatever was was kind of scary. It was almost crazy. In fact, I asked my wife if I could share this, and she was okay with it, mostly okay with it anyway. But um, she, was, she was a little bit, she's smiling back there, so I know I'm okay. Okay, Whew. I'm going to have to pay for this later. But she was a little bit neurotic uh, during um, her, this pregnancy. And, and like those little things in her body, those changes, like it, it, it sent her in different directions. And in fact, I remember <laughs> um, before we knew we were pregnant, there was one night when um, I was home and I was kind of decompressing from work. And, and she came in the door and I think she flew off the handle. She didn't know I was going to share this story. Um, she flew off the handle and it was like totally out of place and weird. And she knew it and she admitted to it. And then like a week later, we were in the doctor's office. And, uh, and he's, I see husbands back there who are you know, nodding and shaking their heads. Yeah, it's a common, this is a common reality, right? Well, we were in the doctor's office um, uh, like a week later, and that's when he said, you know, you're pregnant. And all of a sudden, we both looked at each other and said, that's what that was. It was a chemical imbalance in your body, and you went crazy. And um, <laughs> she's shaking her head now. I'm in trouble. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because um, it, it you know, when you don't know what's going on, when there's these little changes 
things can become crazy. And, and uh, right about that time, that's when we decided that we're going to start reading this book. And um, it's the book, probably many of you have read it, it's What to Expect When You're Expecting by Heidi Murkoff. And anyone familiar with that book? Yes, no, yeah. It's an awesome book because what it does is it explains the physiology of the body uh, as it goes through these different stages. And, and you, can, you can read about it. And you can say, oh, this is what's going on uh, during the pregnancy and what the baby's doing and how it's growing. And, and so everything kind of starts to make sense. And each of these stages has its own reference points um, that we soon discovered are, are very common to most pregnancies. Uh, if you're looking for, if you're like newly pregnant for the first time, get that book, read it. It's awesome. If you're looking for a gift to give to someone who's newly pregnant, buy that one because it's a great book. I'll, I'll endorse it here. I'm not getting paid for this, but I will endorse it here. Um, but the, the reference points, they, they really, during our first pregnancy, helped us to stay sane uh, in these severely crazy times. And now, as Lofton's getting older, we have a lot of other things that we mark, you know, like, okay, this is, he's doing this now, and this is good. You know, he's, he's crawling, and he's cooing, and he's taking his first steps, and, and this is good. He's starting to call us mom and dad, and uh, he solved his first quadratic equation the other day, and... Um, and, and so we're, you know, we're really proud of him. And these are the stages that, that we're thinking, okay, everything's on track. It's good. These are reference markers for us uh, to know that we're doing this right. This is good. Everything's healthy and happy and, and, um, and calm. It keeps us calm. You know, points of reference are important in all kinds of situations. In sports, uh, a reference point can help an athlete perform better than otherwise. Consider what might have been going on in Michael Jordan's mind um, as he was uh, shooting this shot. Here's a picture. Um, many of you have probably seen this picture before. This is Michael Jordan, and oh, the picture's kind of cut off a little bit. Well, this is a famous shot, and it's a buzzer beater, and, and Jordan's winning the game right here, and that, that little... Uh, clock above the scoreboard, the yellow and black. For those of y'all who don't know, that's the shot clock, and it's got .6 seconds on it. And uh, he knows that, Jordan knows that he's got to get this shot off before that timer goes down or else the point doesn't count. That's a reference point for him to know that if, if he doesn't do this, it's not going to count. Otherwise, he'd be like me out on the basketball court just dribbling around trying to show off and being really stupid, and then you know, the shot doesn't count because the, the shot clock went down. Um, you know, most sports are this way. Some of the biggest plays happen uh, right at the end of the clock, like buzzer beaters. You know, at the bottom of the ninth inning with a full count, it's a reference point. Derek Jeter hits a home run to to beat the you know Red Sox and the Yankees win. Woohoo! It's awesome. Um, you know, as the play clock winds down, Tony Romo receives a snap and he launches a rocket that leads the Cowboys to victory over the Steelers. Oh, such an amazing moment. Deal with it. I've got a mic. I'm a Dallas fan. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, these, are, these are reference points for us so, so that, you know, like athletes know I have got to perform in this time or else my, my play won't count. Well, I'm, I'm a surfer, and um, in, in surfing, I know this won't really translate to a lot of you, but I want to talk about it because it's fun to talk about. Um, <clears throat> Surfers use reference points all the time. You know, not every wave is really good to surf on, and so when we find a wave that's good, you know, we'll mark it and uh, and we'll say, I want to ride that wave because waves usually, when when you find a good one, usually more good waves will come in the exact same spot. And so, so what we do is we go out and we scan the beach and we find the wave that we like. 
we'll, we'll, we'll mark it and we'll kind of look behind us to see if there's a reference point, like a, you know, a beach house or a lifeguard stand or a tree or a big rock, and we'll say, okay, you know, that's where the wave is, I'll mark it up by that. And then we paddle out into the water, we get to about where we want to be so we know we can catch the wave, and then, then what we do is we're sitting on our board, kind of floating, bobbing around like shark bait, and uh, we're kind of doing this, and, and then, you know, we look to the left and to the right, and we see if there's another marker that we can use, and, and, you know, maybe it's the end of a pier or the end of a jetty, and we say, okay, if I'm lined up with the end of this pier, and, and I can see that beach house right there, if I'm here every time, I can keep catching this wave over and over and over again, and, and that, that's how we use it. It's a really cool system, and uh, it's, it's, it's important for us. It's a reference marker. You know, in, in every area of our lives, um, you know, reference points provide guidelines in, in all sorts of ways. At work, there are goals that we have to make sure that we're successful at home. There are rules that we live by to, to raise our kids to be respectful, to keep our marriages together. Um, at church, they're the disciplines that we put in place to make sure our relationship with God is, is healthy. In, in every area of our lives, we can use these points to keep us on track, to keep us going, to keep us scoring, to keep us growing. Uh, the reference points, the boundaries, the guidelines, the milestones, whatever you want to call them, they're very important to us. Uh, consider your own life. How have you experienced this? You know, do you have experiences or truths or memories uh, that you hold on to so that when you are lost or in a time of chaos or craziness, you, can, you look back to them and you say, okay, everything's going to be fine because I know uh, this truth and, and I've gotten through a situation like this in the past. And, and so I, I know it'll be okay. Maybe, maybe as you're raising your kids, you, you can feel frustrated or ineffective um, and, and it just you feel like maybe all is lost, but you know that your parents, the way that your parents raised you was good and it worked because you're a healthy, happy adult. And so you know if you keep doing the same things that your parents did, then more than likely your kids are going to come out right. They're, they're going to be raised right. That's a, that's a reference point. Or maybe, maybe you feel like your, your life is spinning out of control with debt or maybe joblessness or something else, and, and um, you look back to a time when, when things were better, when you had money in the bank and you were, you were really putting away uh, and able to save, or, or you were at an interview and you were effective and you got that job, and so in this moment when it feels crazy, when it feels out of control, when it feels like you have um, no way or no ground to stand on, you can look back and you say, I know it's happened before, so I know it can happen again. It could be that you're living really far away from God right now because the pace of life is just relentless. And you can't take that time that you need to slow down, to stop, to listen for the voice of God. But you know in the past you've heard Him speak to you. You've seen Him work in your life. You've felt that encounter. You know He's real. And so you can just hold on and say, I know that He is there. He will speak to me. I'm just going to wait and wait and wait until I hear His voice again. That's a reference point. This is the way that our past, the markers, uh, the memories, the guidelines um, that we place in our life work. They drop an emotion, a, a memory, a truth that we can hold on to that can keep us on that right path moving forward. It's the path that we know that we should be on. So where do, where do you have these anchor points in your life? We're going to discover today how and why God wants us to use these things. 
um, to help us develop our faith. You see, God tells us in his scripture that we need to create memorials and references and, and anchor points, boundaries, to, to remind us and keep us on track with what he wants in our lives, the plans that he has for us. You know, I've always been mesmerized by the story of the Israelites' journey to the promised land. And uh, it's, it's such a beautiful picture because a Christian's journey of faith it is very similar. In fact, it's, it's really beautiful. When we, when we think about the Israelites, you know, the exodus from, from slavery into the desert and then going into the promised land, it, it really is a, very similar. They, the, the Israelites, um, you know, they left. They celebrate Passover, and, uh, and they're, they're rescued from, uh, from death, and then they're able to be taken out of slavery, uh, led by Moses across the Red Sea, um, it, it's so similar. You know, you, you think about Christ. Before he died on the cross, he celebrated Passover uh, with his disciples. I, that's just so cool how those things are parallel. I think God just, you know, uses these stories to remind us, this is the way I work in your life. And, uh, well, today I want to I wanna focus on the end of the Israelites' journey, right before they get into the promised land and, and cross this, um, this river. See, uh, God gave his people, right before they're about to face their, their last trial, before they enter into uh, the promised land, God gives his people a little encouragement, some good advice that will serve them as they embark on this last part of their journey. So we're going to begin here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read verse 7. If you don't have your Bibles, the words are here on the screen. You can uh, listen along with me. Joshua 1 verse 7 says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the, all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. You see, here God is giving his people a guideline to follow, the, the Ten Commandments. We'll all agree those are good guidelines for us to follow. In fact, they're more than guidelines. They're really rules for our lives to keep us healthy. And, and uh, But... For the Israelites, this is kind of like a, a shot clock or a play clock for the athlete. God is saying, this is what it will take for you to succeed in, in your journey. You have to follow my commands and, and this is, this is so great because he says, you have to follow my commands and don't take our left turn or a right turn. Don't get away from what I'm teaching you. Go straight on. That's the reference point I have for you. Just keep moving for, forward. And, and, and this is really critical for the Israelites, you have to have courage because your journey is not going to be easy. What you have ahead of you is going to frighten you, it's going to freak you out, it's going to scare you, and you're going to want to turn tail and run and not deal with it because it's really a big deal. Now, how often in our lives do we face things like that, things that we know are going to be difficult and hard, and we'd much rather just turn around and run from them than we would face them. But then to hear the words of God to know what he's done in the past for us, it gives us boldness. It gives us courage to move forward. See, the Israelites, they've leaned on God for all kinds of things up to this point. They've crossed the Red Sea. They followed God in a cloud by day and fire by night. Um, he fed them and gave them water in the desert for 40 years. At this point, uh, if they keep adding up all that God has done for them, then uh, they can have faith that he's going to be with them through this next challenge. I'm going to back up the story just a little bit. 
uh, before we push forward. So the, the Israelites have been on this amazing journey for, for really hundreds of years. Uh, before we pick up their story in Joshua, uh, the Israelites, uh, they've been battling slavery for centuries. You know, they're centuries, sorry. Uh, they're in Egypt, they're enslaved by Pharaoh, and, uh, and they've, once they've had enough of all this torment, they cry out to God to save them. And so what does he do? He sends Moses to them, stuttering, stammering Moses. Go to Pharaoh. <laughs> That's how I feel sometimes. Um, Go to Moses, lead your people out. We're going to get to the promised land eventually. And so that's what Moses does. He takes them on a straight path to the promised land. So the Israelites then have been in the desert for 40 years. And finally, they're following the commands of God. And he's going to allow them to enter into the promised land under new leadership, under Joshua. Now Joshua, he is a defined leader. He's capable and willing to take significant risks in order to bring the people of God into the promised land, which is known as Canaan. Um, Just as they're about to enter, Joshua pulls the people aside to give them some final instructions. And uh, it's really a a tense moment for the Israelites. Um, Not only are they about to finish their journey that they've been on for so long, uh, but they're also about to face an incredibly difficult trial. They've got to cross the Jordan River, which is in its flood stages. Um, Many of you probably remember seeing images recently of the Mississippi when it was in flood. Yeah. Um, That's probably a lot like what the Israelites may have seen, although they wouldn't have had the metal buildings or anything like that, of course. Um, But, you know, it's just water everywhere. And uh, what's happening is it's in springtime, and the water from the mountains, the snow from the mountains is melting, and it's rushing into the Jordan River, and, and the water is just surging past them. Okay, if you were to even step a foot into the river, you'd risk drowning. I mean, it's a dangerous thing. In fact, most people, when they look at it, they say, there's not a chance I'm going into that. The river's over a mile wide. It's a lot of water. It's scary. And God is saying, you know what, have faith in me. I'm going to take you across it. And, uh, and so let's read this account in Joshua chapter 3 and then going on into verse, uh, chapter 4 in a minute. We're going to start in verse 14. And you can follow along with me. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away in a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathon. That's like a town called Human. That's where people live. That's really what that means. Um, uh, While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now we're going to skip just a few verses into chapter 4, verse 4. After they had crossed the Jordan, uh, Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the Ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone and put it on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Now pay attention to this. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. That's a memory. That's a monument, a memorial to remember what God had done for the Israelites. So simply put, God wants us to remember His work in our lives. See, yesterday has a meaning for today. And people who, who never look to the past, thankful for the trials that, that God has given them and, and really how God worked in them, they're not going to experience the benefits of growth in the future. We've got to remember the past in order to honor the future. See, it's not simply a matter of wisdom, but of duty. To keep alive the experiences of yesterday, we have to remember what happened. Do you think it was easy for the Israelites to look at that river and say, I'm going to step in. Yeah, I can do that. I'll, I'll go. No, there's not a chance. Now, that was a scary moment. But with faith, because of the stories of all the things that God had done for them in the past, they knew that they could do it again because God would help them through it. Now, how often do we fear the things that we're facing? Thinking that there's no way out, there's, there's no way that God is going to help us, or there's no way that He can help us, or He's not present in our lives enough to help us. And, and all the while, we really are forgetting the things that He's done for us already in our lives. See, our, our lives will not always be easy. That's truth. But if we choose to remember the past and how God worked in it, then we'll have greater courage as we take our next step. See, the crossing of the Jordan was very significant for the Israelites. It didn't happen because their new leader Joshua was a great leader. It didn't happen because the Israelites were so capable and smart and they could build a bridge over the Jordan. It's, it's, it's not really any of that stuff. I mean, think about it. Their old leader, the one that they've trusted uh, for, for 40 years, is dead. Uh, many of the people who crossed the Red Sea 40 years earlier when they were when be taken, being taken out of captivity from Egypt, they're also dead. A generation has passed. Their new leader, while very capable, he's still really new to the, to the people. He, he, he hasn't really been tested. And the path that the people were about to embark on, it's completely untrodden. It's unknown to the people because it's underwater. They have no idea what the ground's going to be like when they cross. They don't even know if they're going to pass on dry ground. They're just going to trust that they're going to walk. The Israelites had a very difficult task in front of them. But not only that, not only was crossing the Jordan hard, see, they also knew that they were about to cross into the land that they've been waiting so long to take captive which was inhabited by other people. And across the river from them, across the Jordan, was this stalwart city that lay on the other side. It was big, it was bright, it was fortified, and it was scary. Just across the river was Jericho, and its inhabitants would have to be defeated before they could take the promised land. But they would cross, regardless of how difficult it was for them. But they wouldn't do it in their own efforts. No, it would be by God's grace and design that the people of Israel were able to enter into the promised land. 
And God wanted the people of Israel for generations to come to remember this blessing and the miracle that he was about to perform for them. He wanted them to remember his faithfulness, not only in the desert that they've been walking through for the past 40 years, but also the miracle that he was about to perform for them. And and here's why. Because the Israelites had tons more trials ahead of them, just like us. They have battles. They still have to defeat Jericho with just trumpets and marching. (laughs) Uh, They still have to defeat 31 different kings in order to possess the land that God has promised them. They need to remember how God worked and his faithfulness to them in order for them to keep moving forward among all those trials. But but not just that. All of us, all of us, Israelites from from millennia ago all the way up to our contemporaries, you know, we, we forget how God works in our lives day in and day out. We forget how he works even in the stressful moments. And, and it's really astounding how quickly we forget the things that God does in our lives. So God says, what I want you to do is I want you to build a monument, a memorial, a reminder of what I've done in your life here. So when you see it, you remember. He wants them to build a pile of stones so every time they see it, they can say, yeah, that's right. God did that miracle. What's he going to do next? How is he going to help me next? Without the memory of that event, them crossing uh, the Jordan, the Israelites might have chosen not to fight. And as time passed by, the next generation would not know what God had done there that day. They wouldn't have had a record of the memory of those miracles. Now, I'm sure that there's things in your life that you don't ever want to forget. Maybe it's your baby's first steps, uh, a graduation, a significant birthday, an anniversary, wisdom from your parents or grandparents. You know, we all have things that we want to make sure that we pass on so they can be memorialized, so they can be remembered, so that they can continue on, right? So what do we do? When we, when we see those things or when we, you know, I've got to remember this, what do we do? We write them down. We take pictures. We, we get out a video recorder. It's funny, in our house, we've got a video camera like on the table at all times just waiting for Lofton to, to walk. Oh, he's going to walk. You know, so we're always ready to record that moment because we don't want to forget it. We record our past so that it can live on into the future. Our faith requires the same kind of diligence and effort. When God moves, when God heals, when God speaks, in the moment we think there's no way that I'm going to forget this. But we do. The memory fades. We forget the exact account, and the event loses its power. So God tells us, build an altar of memorial. Don't let this moment be forgotten. It's a command to us that we should be taking, uh, that should be taken as serious today as it was when the Israelites entered into the promised land. We do this because it keeps us on track. It keeps us moving forward, and it encourages others to join with us on our journey. Don't miss this. This is really big. When we tell stories about the things that God has done in our lives, other people get stirred. I think it's true that deep within us all is a desire to encounter the living God, the creator of the universe. And and when we experience God in a very real and tangible way and we start to talk about it, other people say, I want to experience that same kind of thing. How do I do that? I mean, that's kind of cool stuff. So therefore, we have a responsibility to share it. 
we have a responsibility to pass on the stories of God, the works that he's doing in our lives to the future generation, to our sons and to our daughters, to the people that are in our lives, to our friends and to our family. We have a responsibility to pass it on, to create a memorial and altar. As a youth pastor, um, this is very real for me. Um, I, I watch this happen all the time. This is part of the reason why this time of year is just so great for me because after every trip that I take students on, whether it's a middle school camp or a fall or spring retreat or just some time when I know God is moving, the first thing I do when we get back is, is I set aside time for students to talk about the things that God has done in their lives while they were on that trip. And I do it because I want it to seal, I want to seal that story in the hearts of the students so that it remains real, so that it's a, a vital memory. As we speak it, we, we remember it better. But there's also this other factor that goes on. Is when the other students who maybe weren't a part of that trip or maybe didn't have an encounter on that trip with God, when they hear those stories, they're like, gosh, it can happen for him, so maybe it can happen for me. Oh, it happened in her life, so maybe God can move in my life. It stirs us, and we think, I want to be a part of that. I want to experience that. And that's when we pass it on. In a minute, I'm going to let you listen to one of those stories about the miraculous work of God. It's not from a student, but it's very, very powerful. And uh, the work that we're going to talk about potentially shaped half of an entire city. Um, when hope was gone there, when the path ahead was hard and difficult, God really had an opportunity to flex his muscles, which is what he usually does most of the time in our lives. In our weakness, he shows his strength, which is really cool because that's when the miracles happen and we can say, yes, God, thank you so much. I couldn't have done that on my own. Lord, you are amazing. I'm going to share that in a minute, um, but first I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with the same command that God gave to the Israelites after they crossed the Jordan. If we want to pass our faith on to our children, if we want to pass our faith on to the people around us and let that move out from us, then we better be talking about the things that God is doing in our lives. We had better be creating altars of remembrance and reference for others to see, for our children to see. We had better become living memorials, living testimonies to the work of God. We need to practice it. We need to make it a regular habit to write down the things that the Lord is showing us, the things that he's doing in our lives. Write down the miracles that he's performing so that when we face our next challenge, the river that's in its flood stage that we need to cross, those written stories will remind us how faithful God is, how powerful, how creative, how caring, how loving, how wonderful he truly is. We all need these kind of reminders to keep the story moving forward, to keep passing on this story from generation to generation. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Tell them about what God did in your life so that miracle might be passed down to the next generation. Become a living memorial for the people around you for what God did in your life. Amen. Amen. Well, as I promised, 
uh, we have a story for you, and I, I want to invite Pat Tracy to come on up. Um, and uh, Pat's our missions pastor here at Quest, and uh, he's been away for, what, three months, four, ten months, a year? He's been away for a long time, which has been nice because we share an office, or at least we used to, and so it was quiet while he was gone. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm glad you're back, Pat. I truly am. Um, but, but, uh, that's what he has to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have to say that. <laughs> um, Pat, Pat's been on uh, the Logos ship here, and this ship has been all over the world, and uh, it's been to Libya and India and, what, 36 different countries, and recently it spent um, a bunch of its time in Sri Lanka, uh, which is where God just really showed up in, in a significant way, and did, he did some amazing things. So, Pat, I'm going to ask you uh, if you'll just tell us a little bit about the trip, and maybe if you can specifically mention some of the, um, the unexpected things, the hardship, those, those ways where God really got to flex his muscles when, as men, we were kind of like, oh, what do we do next? Can you just share a little bit about that? Sure, thanks. Um, first thing, just the, the plan route for the summer um, looked a little bit like this. Started in uh, Sri Lanka and was supposed to go up through several cities in India, out to the Maldives, and then uh, uh, back to Sri Lanka and up to India. But, uh, you know, this is the 40th year of the ship ministry. Um, you know, we've got lots of memorials. This is our fourth ship. And uh, you think that by now we kind of have an idea of what we're doing, but uh, not necessarily so. And, and one of the things that I learned almost from the moment I stepped aboard this time is that we need to pray for everything. We, you know, there is, there is nothing that we can take for granted. Um, you know, uh, the scripture says that uh, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. And we saw that over and over and over again. Um, I want to talk to talk to you about uh, Hambantota, Sri Lanka. It's right down there at the southern tip of Sri Lanka. And uh, you look at this, you can see this is a port that's still under construction. Um, it's there because a president who is not particularly popular with people outside of this area where he grew up uh, said, I want a port there. And we are the first ship to come and to actually uh, be there to serve the people. And, uh, you know, uh, just the the town is about 200,000 people, but it's 15 minutes drive away, and most people don't have cars. It's a very poor area. You see, it's a very deserty area. But here we are in this big ship and a very empty pier. And, uh, you know, this is an area where the church is struggling. It's been under very intense persecution, like burning and shooting and beating for 20 years, and, uh, and, and we come in here. Um, you see that it's not particularly busy, and that's what we expected. Um, we didn't really have high expectations for the area. Um, we thought it was going to be pretty quiet. We were supposed to come in on Monday afternoon, leave on Friday morning, in and out, you know, check the box, because the president wanted us to go there. Well, while we were there, we had two significant pieces of equipment break down, one electrical generator and a fuel oil purifier. Electrical generator, we got three of them, so eh, we can, you know, it's not happy, but we can go with it. But without clean fuel, we can't do anything. So the fuel oil purifier breaks down, and we can't move. We're supposed to leave in about a day and a half. And uh, there, we need six parts for this 40-year-old piece of equipment that are spread literally all over the planet, and we were not going to make it. We were not going to get out of there. And uh, 
So we pulled everybody back to a, a lounge area on Wednesday afternoon, spent about 15 minutes to explain the situation and pray. And just ask God to do what needed to happen because we were still wanting to get on down the road. Um, but uh, within about 20 minutes of that prayer time, the whole atmosphere on the ship just shifted. Shifted from, geez, we're broke down again, to what does God have for us here? And within about half an hour after that, suddenly we knew where all these parts were and there was a plan to get them here. Oh. And then within about two hours after that, we had about 3,000 people on the pier and the car park was filling up and it just got busier and busier and busier as we kept on going. The next day we had 10,000 people. The following day we had 14,000 people. We hit our high water mark there. We had 16,129 people come on board in one day, um, which is really, really busy. But uh, now this is in an area where most people don't speak English. We, didn't, we only had a handful of single books. But they came down because they were welcomed, because they could get a smile. And, uh, and people would come back, and they'd, they'd come, and they'd, they'd stand in the queue for hours. They'd take about 10 minutes to walk through the ship, and they'd come back and they'd say, we're going to go get our family and come back. And they did. And uh, so this went on and on and on. And uh, on Sunday, which coincidentally was the day that you all were without power here, and that we were supposed to have a telephone conversation and tell you what was going on, but this is what the crowd looked like from the head of the pier. It's not, it's not the... Not the best view of it, but go on, go ahead on to the next one if you would. Um, you know, we have all hands were out on the pier. Anybody who was not uh, busy somewhere else was out dealing with the people, talking to people, sharing with people, just greeting them and, and uh, helping them go through the wait. And uh, then you take a look at what it looked like from the shore. This is what people walked up to. And now let's take a look at what it looked like from the ship. Okay, now that queue goes the length of the ship three times. Out the end, around the corner, behind those buildings, and out the port gate. Wow. And you think, how is that working? What is God doing here? And somebody came down from Colombo, the capital, and he said, you know, there's about 600,000 people live in this district. So by staying here for three extra days you have impacted half of them. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. 300,000 300, people, potentially, right, um, experiencing the love of God, uh, give, been given resources and all kinds of great stuff uh, through your ministry. I mean, it's encouraging. When you thought the, the Lord, you know, we're just stuck in port for three days, we're going to sit here twiddling our thumbs, and then God says, boom, no, this is what I have for you. Now that's, you want to remember that kind of thing. Because what happens is, you know, you're going to go on other trips, we're going to be sending people out, and, uh, and they're going to be hard. There's going to be trials in the middle of those, and we need to say, no, just trust in God, regardless of what happens, what comes, what the future may hold, the Lord has got something for us. And we're about to send uh, another team out, right? Yeah, we are. And uh, actually, um, if, uh, it's, if the ushers could come, and, and uh, we'll talk about this while we're... Uh, uh, receiving the offering this morning, but uh, 
you know, your giving has enabled this kind of work to go on. Your, your giving has enabled the, the uh, trip to Indianapolis, the, you know, the middle school camps, the, the involvement with Better Way, the involvement with Warm, all of these things. And, uh, but the next thing that's going on is that uh, Tom and Deanna Parkhurst are going off to uh, the Ukraine this week to uh, participate in a wheelchair distribution uh, as part of Wheels for the World. It's also a, uh, you can go ahead and start if you want. Um, you can, uh, um, but this, this is a, it's also a, a strategic project for us as a church in that it is, uh, it's a cooperative effort between Quest and the Almaty Vineyard Church, which Tom and Deanna started, and, uh, and also some of the Ukrainian vineyards to, to work together to reach the least of these in, a, in an area of the world that, uh, that we haven't had, you know, where, where those folks are not treated very well. And uh, so this is the kind of thing that, you know, we get, to, we get to go and see, you know, from a front row seat what God is going to do with a simple thing like a wheelchair. Yeah. That's awesome. So after the service, we're going to have an opportunity to pray uh, for the Parkhurst as they go. And so if you want to bless them with prayer, we encourage you to stay after uh, here and, and just play. For, we're going to pray for them right up here and, and uh, just encourage you to be a part of that. Well, let me close this in a word of prayer. Uh, if you'll bow your heads with me. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in and among us. Lord, let these uh, encounters, these miracles, uh, these movements, Lord, be remembered to us, uh, seared on our hearts, uh, Lord, that we may speak them, that we may become living testimonies of what you're doing so other people can hear your good works. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness and courage to take those next steps, whatever they may be. Be with us, Lord. We pray these things in your wonderful and holy name. And now go and be a living testimony, a living memorial to the people around you. Thank you, church. It was good being with you this morning.